0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, federal help is on the way to Manitoba, as that province's health system gets overwhelmed by a surge in COVID cases, Doctors in the province calling on the Premier to enact tougher restrictions. Federal Representative for the Prairies, Jim Carr, will be here to discuss the federal response. More criticism of the federal government's handling of sexual misconduct in the military after DND's top public servant lays the failure squarely at the feet of government. MPs will debate the latest developments on that. And our panel of parliamentary journalists will be here to discuss military sexual misconduct and the Prime Minister's support for Quebec's constitutional changes. And let's begin with the latest on COVID-19 and the third wave in Canada. It's a very uneven story across the country where some provinces uh, pushed on with increasing vaccinations and so on are seeing a continuing decline in new infections and an easing of some restrictions. In some other provinces, tighter restrictions with new infections remaining stubbornly high. More than 50% of Canadians have now received at least one dose of vaccine. The federal government has responded to the urgent plea for help from Manitoba, now dealing with the highest infection rate in North America and dealing with an overwhelmed health care system. The federal government will send in epidemiologists and lab technicians, critical care nurses, all of that to help uh, Manitoba deal with the crisis and support from the Canadian military as well to speed up vaccinations.
1: For additional support to manage the situation, we're preparing to deploy health... health human federal health human resources we're also looking at deploying medical staff through the canadian red cross and sending support from the canadian armed forces
0: meanwhile the premier of manitoba is facing calls from a group of doctors in that province to take tougher measures including a stay-at-home order and the closing of all non-essential businesses to drive down COVID infections as manitoba ships COVID patients 18 so far to ontario for treatment but the premier suggested today the current restrictions are enough they just aren't being followed.
2: When you have vaccines available to everyone and yet 70% of the folks who are going into hospital haven't been vaccinated, there's an element of personal responsibility here and personal decision-making that impacts. And so I I think it's clear that uh, if you do an analysis of the restrictions across the country, you will see that we brought in more severe restrictions than virtually anyone else earlier. In, this, in relative to case numbers than other jurisdictions from Quebec to the West Coast. And so the issue of regretting not bringing in earlier health orders may be raised, but the adherence to health orders is also a key issue.
0: Jim Carr is a Manitoba Liberal MP and Cabinet Special Representative for the Prairies. He's with me now. Minister Carr, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me Good to see you
2: again too. It's been a while.
0: Yeah. Can you give us more detail about exactly what help the federal government is going to be sending to Manitoba?
2: It wants uh, more nurses. It wants transportation, logistics, more vaccinations in First Nations communities, uh, more equipment, more help on the ground. Our system is stretched. Uh, We're having to send patients into Ontario, the possibility that some Manitobans will go even to other jurisdictions. Uh, The nurses uh, support staff on the front line, exhausted. And we need the help of the federal government. The prime minister has spoken to uh, the mayor of Winnipeg, Brian Bowman, Premier Pallister on Friday. Uh, There has been a formal request for assistance. Governments are working on that now. And we will be there for Manitobans, as we have from the start of this pandemic. We're going through a very rough time. Peter, there are so many cases in Manitoba now that every family will know someone who has picked up the COVID-19 virus. And that makes it personal. It brings it to the neighborhood. uh, And it's what we're coping with right now. And the federal government
0: Sorry, sorry, Minister. Let me jump in. So, so, um, you know, Brian Pallister, the premier, has asked for 50 critical care nurses, 20 respiratory therapists, 50 contract tracers, uh, the military to help with vaccine rollout in in indigenous communities. Uh, Manitoba officials saying today, look, we've been told we're getting 12 critical care nurses. So is that the start? And should he expect that he's going to get the 50 critical care nurses he's asked for?
2: There's a serious shortage across the country, as you would well imagine. Uh, at this moment, uh, but we will do whatever we can, looking at the system and looking at the possibility of other provinces helping. Uh, We know that the strains and the stresses uh, are at a critical point, uh, and it's very possible that over the next number of days, it could get worse before it gets better. So uh, we are alert to what the requests are, what Mm. the capability is from the government of Canada, and we're working very closely with Manitoba to make sure that we can provide what they need
0: urgently. Right. It, it it sounds like Premier Pallister might not get everything he needs just because you you might have trouble scrambling those numbers from any Yeah, we're going to gonna do yeah.
2: we're, we're going to do whatever we can and we understand how serious and urgent the threat is here and we'll respond in the best way that we
0: can. Why do you believe the situation has become so acute in your province in Manitoba to the point as you've mentioned where the ICUs are so stretched that they're they're now sending uh, patients to to Ontario 18 so far. Why is it happening?
2: Well, you know, we're going to have an awful lot of time to wonder how we could have done things differently uh, during this pandemic. Uh, It came quickly. It came powerfully. Uh, We responded as best we could as a national government, humble enough to realize that we didn't get it all right the first time. And there will be plenty of time uh, for uh, people to assess what we've done and how we could have done it better. Now is not that time. Now is the time to make sure that the people who are most in need get what they require. And in the case of Manitoba, uh, it's nurses, it's logistics. The vaccines are rolling uh, at a much better rate, and they will continue to. So we know that there is all kinds of good news ahead of it, but we have to double down on our discipline.
0: Okay, you, we, well, let me let me ask you about that. Doctors in your province today, uh, uh, a group of doctors, calling on the premier there, a uh, premier Pallister, to introduce tougher measures, including a stay-at-home order, closing of all essential, uh, non uh, non-essential businesses. Do you support those doctors and and what they're calling for? Do you think the Manitoba premier has done enough here to crack down on on the spread?
2: The premier will uh, take his advice from his public health professionals. Uh, And that's the way it should be. Uh, There is always an easy road to looking back uh, to try to second guess what we have done or what we should have done. Uh, But again, now it's the time to respond. And the uh, request has gone out to the government of Canada. We have responded, and this isn't the first time. And as the prime minister has said, we will do what it takes for as long as it takes to keep Manitobans and all Canadians yeah. safe.
0: But, but you're sitting there in Winnipeg, and you're 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 uh, close to the situation. You've watched what's happened in your province. As do you think the the, the premier's done enough here? Is he following the right kind of? Uh, there seems to be conflicting advice coming from health experts in that province. Uh, do you? Yeah. Wish, you wish he was. There, there will. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Do you wish he was doing more? Are you satisfied as a Manitoban? I wish uh, the
2: situation was. I wish the situation was better. I wish that there were fewer people sick. I wish the positivity rate wasn't 15.9%. I wish that we weren't running out of ICU beds, but we are. And when you're living through a crisis and it's fluid and changing every day, the best use of your energy is to work collaboratively across the system, across governments, to get help to the people who need it most as fast as you can.
0: Uh, Some have suggested the federal government should be attaching conditions to uh, help for provinces that get into this kind of trouble. Uh, What do you think of that?
2: Well, I don't know that this would be the time for that. Uh, Premier and mayor have called the prime minister and said that we need this help now because our people uh, are suffering because of an inability for us to keep up with the demand in the system. Uh, Well, that kind of is a bit of a conversation stopper. So what you do is you find the resources where you can find them across the federal system and throughout the provinces, and you come up with what the Manitoba government says with good public advice, public health advice, to give people what's needed immediately and the priorities that they have determined is what they need now, and that's what we're doing.
0: All right. Uh, Jim Carr, always good to get your perspective. Thanks for your time tonight, sir. Take care. You're very welcome. Well, candid and damaging comments from the federal government's top public servant at the Department of National Defense. Jody Thomas is the Deputy Minister of Defense, and she told CBC Radio that the operation to put an end to sexual misconduct in the military lost its way because the government failed to properly implement the recommendations of the Deschamps report six years ago. Thomas, who was appointed deputy minister in the fall of 2017, says the Deschamps report was treated like a checklist, but not truly implemented by the government. She says as little as possible was done to make it look like the report was responded to without any real change. The comments from Thomas Cummins, the government is on the defensive over the handling of the sexual misconduct allegations against senior military officers, including the former chief of the defense staff, Jonathan Vance. I'm joined now by three members of Parliament to discuss the comments made by Jody Thomas. Anita Vandenbelt is the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of National Defence. James Bazan is the defence critic for the official opposition Conservatives. And Lindsay Matheson is the deputy whip and the critic for women and gender equality for the NDP. It's good to see you all. Uh, Anita Vandenbelt, let let me start with you. Jody Thomas has painted a picture here in her comments of the military side running a checklist to make it look like change is happening and no one on the civilian side ensuring that real change was actually happening. So I'm wondering how badly uh, do her comments undermine the government's stated commitment here to stamp out sexual misconduct in the armed forces?
3: Well, in fact, I think it reinforces it. Um, What Ms. Thomas said is no different than what the Minister has been saying, what the Prime Minister himself has said, what the Acting Chief of Defence Staff, uh, is that successive governments have failed the women and men of the Canadian Armed Forces when it comes to sexual misconduct, harassment and assault, uh, that there has been harm done, that many of the processes that we put in place did not meet their intended objectives, and that we have to do better, that we have to do more, we have to do it faster, but, but she, she, she
0: but she's specifically talking about the period after the deshal report was released saying that there was you know the civilians said there was sort of a, uh, an effort to make a checklist but to make it look like stuff was being done but that no stuff was being done that's uh, that's 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 a that's a real focus on the last 5 years in particular and what didn't happen isn't it
3: and that is precisely why we need Madame Arbour, and why we appointed Madame Arbour and General Carignan, because we know that this has to be done outside of the CAF, outside of the military chain of command and structure. Uh, that is very, very evident from what has been happening recently. Uh, we we have done a number of things. We know that it's not enough, and what Ms. Okay. Thomas said is precisely she, the same. As all right,
0: happened. let's move to Mr. Buzan. She, but she's also raising not just the military uh, military side, she's talking about the oversight side, the civilian side not doing enough to make sure it was getting done. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bazan, what's your, your reaction to what Jody Thomas had to say?
4: I think uh, Jody Thomas, uh, her interview yesterday was really an indictment on the Liberal government that there has been no political leadership here shown by Defence Minister Sajan or Prime Minister Trudeau, they allowed the Deschamps report to sit on uh, Minister Sajan's desk for the last five years and collect dust and as she said they barely even referenced it as a checklist uh, and only half-heartedly brought about some of the changes that were asked for by uh, Justice Deschamps. So you know here we have the Canadian Armed Forces that are being rocked by this crisis of sexual misconduct by some of our top commanders. And the Liberals have sat on their hands and they're punting down any decisions down down the road, kicking the can, as they say, uh, so that they uh, can put this off until after the next election and then maybe they will deal with it. our men and women in uniform deserve better. They deserve some real leadership coming from the political levels. Okay. And right now, all we have is people passing around the hot potato and not taking responsibility right, me, or being accountable for, for not taking action on sexual misconduct in the armed forces.
0: Lindsay Matheson, what's your reaction to uh, this frank assessment of failure, I think, provided by Jody Thomas?
5: Uh yeah, thank you so much. It's uh it's clear and, and actually this isn't the first time we've heard it. Uh I've been sitting on the uh Status of Women Committee and uh this isn't the first time we've heard about checking of boxes. Uh and that um the, the government ultimately they have had five years. They've they've sat on the Deschamps report, um and they they haven't done what's necessary. Uh they've done in fact what uh, Ms. Thomas said, the bare minimum, to look like they were the true feminists that they continue to claim that they are. Um, but women don't need another report. And with all due respect to uh, Justice Arbour and uh, General Keringa, these are fantastic, incredible leaders and women. And I know that they will do a, a good job. But... It's just another report, and there are already reports. There's the report from Deschamps, Madame Deschamps. There's a report from the Auditor General. There's a, a previous report from the Status of Women Committee, and the government has done nothing, and they and they will not show the leadership that, that women serving in the armed forces need so that okay. they can serve equally.
0: Anita Vandenbel, the opposition parties want to, want to, these things are intertwined here, want to call the defence minister's former chief of staff and the minister of defence back to committee to testify about the handling of the allegations of sexual misconduct against. General Vance you and your colleagues on the uh, on the committee are refusing to let that motion come to a vote so uh, do the comments from Jody Thomas suggest there are more questions to be asked about just how seriously the minister's office took the concerns about misconduct
3: uh, well first of all the defense committee has already done over 26 hours of additional meetings uh, in addition to our regular sittings uh, and we've heard the same thing from almost pretty much all of the witnesses, that uh, we, I, people acted in good faith. There wasn't enough information to investigate. But uh, what I would go back to is yeah, the fact Yeah, but let me, let me just ask com- in this
0: context, though. You have Jody Thomas, the, the Deputy Minister, saying and, that saying uh, boxes were checked and the idea was to look like stuff was being done, but it wasn't actually being done. Uh, which is... Well, only- but hang on. Does that, does that not present a potential line of questioning for the, the Defence Minister to bring him back to committee and say, look... I want to know how that approach to dealing with sexual misconduct informed your thinking around uh, how you ha- handle General Vance.
3: Uh, well, first of all, she said nothing more than what the defence minister himself has been saying, both uh, before committee and elsewhere, what the prime minister, what the chief of defence staff uh, have all been saying. Uh, what she said was was not new. Uh, what, what it does, though, is it reinforces the need that we can get the report finished so that we can get those important recommendations from both committees that really matter to the women and men with the okay. Canadian Armed Forces, get those recommendations also into the hands of Madame Arbor. Madame Deschamps herself said that that she welcomed Madame Arbour's study because it went broader and it was more detailed than what she did. Enough, in fact, did. what Madame Deschamps did, the how, okay. the, 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 or the, sorry, the what, the how is what Madame Arbour might tell let, us. Let <laughs> me move
0: to Mr. Bazent. Mr. Bazent, do, do, do Jody Thomas's comments uh, suggest to you there is a need to probe further uh, with more Defense Committee hearings, because it doesn't look—it looks like you may not get them.
4: No, there's no question that we need to hear from her and uh, Zita Stravis in particular, uh, since they know uh, things, and we'll be able to straighten out some of the contradictions uh, from all the witnesses we had, including, you know, chief of staff to prime minister, Katie Telford, Elder Marquez. And just to be clear for prime our viewers, Zita
0: Stravas is the former uh, chief of staff. Former to chief Defense of
4: staff. Minister. Yeah. That's Mr. Sajan. and uh, we need to find out exactly uh, what happened with the flow of information here, uh, but you know. What we have is the liberals' ongoing filibusters and suspensions of committee meetings. We have spent days in suspension rather than actually dealing with the issues at hand. They would rather filibuster having Zita Estravis appear in front of committee uh, than you know actually go out there and address the report so that we can get down to the, the brass tacks of fixing things up for the women and men who serve in uniform. And you know, as we were talking earlier, you know, we got to the shop report. We are going to have these reports coming forward from committee we don't need another report we need results and that's what the troops are wanting from okay. parliamentarians that's what they expect from their political leadership including minister Sagan, and that's what they expect from their their leadership within their armed right, forces. Lindsay, is start addressing this and let's fix okay. it now
0: lindsay matheson uh you're you're not on the defense committee you're on the status of women committee which has also been holding these kinds of hearings so but do you think there are more questions raised by what we heard from jody thomas or uh, or not
5: Um, I think that there's a lot of questions unanswered and I and I hope that the Defense Committee can can finish the business so that they can get to the report Um, I know that um, just another announcement of a a report isn't enough we do need that action Um, I just don't know if the government will actually listen
0: all right well uh, we'll continue to uh, follow the story and see where it takes us thank you all for your time tonight appreciate it and take care we'll talk again soon thanks Peter thank you all Let's bring in three colleagues now from the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Susan Delacourt is a columnist for the Toronto Star, Joël-Denis Belavance, the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for La Presse, and John Iveson is a columnist for the National Post and Ottawa Bureau Chief for Post Media. Good to see you all. Susan, let's be begin with the, uh, the comments from Deputy Minister Jody Thomas at the Department of National Defence uh, telling the CBC essentially that the failure to put an end to sexual misconduct in the military lies squarely at the feet of the government. The civilian overseers who did, as she put it, as little as possible to make it look like the report was responded to, but without any real change. What's your reaction to what she's saying?
6: I, I, my my jaw dropped. I I was quite surprised by uh, these remarks. They, they, so either she is saying, um, I, I keep wondering, did she do this with any kind of approval from the top? Because it certainly seems like what she's saying is, Somebody wasn't doing their job here she's not saying it was not her doing it but it 's hard not to draw the conclusion she's saying in there the minister wasn't doing his job, which is a remarkable thing to say for a public servant and um, I you know it's hard to tell whether this signals something inside the government a mood changing about somebody having to take the blame for this but I, I did I was quite Struck by it. All
0: right, Joel. Denis, what, what did you think? Uh, and, and does this change the narrative at all with the, the Prime Minister and the, and the Defense Minister? Uh, they've already taken their hits over this. Uh, do they take more because of this?
7: I think it does create more turmoil for the armed forces, but now the uh, Liberal government is drawn into it, and the Prime Minister and the Minister of Defense are, you know, sort of in the line of fire, if I may say, uh, for not doing enough. And uh, I would add to what the Susan said, this kind of uh, um, statement I think will probably push the government to do more than uh, less in the future report that is expected by the uh, former justice uh, Louise Arbeau. when she comes down with her report, we will be expecting the government will move swiftly and uh, and in a broad way also to bring the uh, armed forces into the I mean, see, 21st century in terms of respecting gender equity in, in the armed forces.
0: John, how did you see it? I mean, I, I, I found it interesting looking at it because I, I thought it, it turned a bit of a corner here from the sense that, you know, the, the, the well-meaning efforts of the uh, of the defense minister and the prime minister to make change at, at DND, and it didn't happen the way we hoped it did. This seems to be more of a, we actively sought to do as little as we could.
1: Well, I, I took it uh, a little bit differently okay. than my colleagues. I think it was a bit of an internal power grab. Um, in that uh, we know that the, the twin towers exist in the Department of National Defence, one side being civilian and the other side being military. And I thought Jody Thomas was essentially saying this was left to the military and they ticked some boxes, but they didn't actually do anything about it. And now we've got a new report which is going to come out with recommendations, and it should be the civilian side that oversees. Uh, any future culture changes. That, that was my takeaway. I may be wrong on that, but that was what I thought.
0: All right. Uh, let's move along. Uh, jo- Joël Denis, let me, let me start with you on this. The Prime Minister repeated his support today for Quebec's uh, push to rewrite a section of the Constitution to say Quebecers form a nation and that French is the only official language of Quebec. Uh, he's getting some pushback from other parts of the country and from some columnists in Canada. Why is the Prime Minister on side with Quebec on this?
7: Well, there is an election on the horizon and the prime minister does not want to create any waves that could prevent him from winning more seats in Quebec. So a lot of it, that we could see it through the prism of elections and, and wanted to make some gains in Quebec at the expense of the bloc québécois and stop uh, any resurgence of the Conservative Party. But this is clearly an electoral an electoral strategy on the part of the prime minister because we would have expected Mr. Uh, To make a little bit more of a pushback, um, in normal circumstances, if I may say, but it's not the case because we're not in normal circumstances. An election is approaching, and also um, the prime minister wants to make gains, and the the likeliest. Uh, province where he can make those gains is in Quebec.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, Susan, we, we could have an election in the next few months. Liberals uh, hold 35 of the 78 seats in Quebec and uh, winning a majority uh, would likely require winning more seats in the province of Quebec. Uh, is that what uh, this support from the Prime Minister is all about?
6: I don't think you can read. I, I think JD is right. <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of electoral cal- calculations in this, but I think you've also got to see it. You can't help but see it. I wrote this last week through the long lens of history, too. This is the son of Pierre Trudeau. Um, and it almost seems like he is going to enormous lengths to be different from his father. And where his father, this might have sent him into uh, you know, a Maison Aigrelle speech, or uh, that's you have to remember. I'm a constitutional survivor, so I know all these references. Um, I, I think I was really struck by the way today he was asked, do you want to explain your defense of this? And he said, basically, no. Um, I stand by it, and that's that. And I I think for all of us just who were in the constitutional wars, I think we we need to know a little bit more about what this all means. I, I don't think that this is just where it's going to be left.
0: Uh, John, let me, let me turn to you here. You, you've you been in contact with a, a well-known federal constitutional expert who has uh, often challenged Quebec o- over the Constitution, but uh, what's he saying about this?
1: Yeah, so Stefan Dion, who is now our, our man in uh, the EU, and he's the, the ambassador to Germany too, um, so I asked him what he thought, and he said, well, uh, surprising to me, um, yeah, if the prime minister's getting advice that... Uh, that uh, they can do this unilaterally through Section 45 of the the Constitution and that that it doesn't have an impact on the rest of the Constitution, then there's no reason to oppose it. Now, we then discussed a a very similar instance in 1997 where Quebec wanted to unilaterally get rid of uh, religious school boards and replace them Mm -hmm. with linguistic ones. And that became a a bilateral amendment. It actually required um, an act in Parliament, which Dion sponsored, and it passed through Parliament and therefore amended the Constitution, and he used Section 43. And it would seem to me and to a whole bunch of other people that that would be a good way to go here, that you should get parliamentary assent or consent before uh, amending the Constitution unilaterally. The problem with that, of course, is that you may not get it. I would imagine there are a lot of uh, MPs who would not be happy with this, and therefore it might not pass, and therefore it might upset Quebec, and that might not end well for Justin Trudeau.
0: Joel this? do you think this becomes a a significant election issue? I mean, if if it appears to divide the country, uh, what are we in for?
7: Well, it could pit Quebec against the rest of Canada if uh, uh, the uh, kind of reaction we've seen in some provinces keeps getting uh, harder and harsher. Uh, But in Quebec, uh, the prime minister's position has been seen as being welcomed by many people. Um, But clearly there is uh, some pushback by some uh, uh, English commentators some English media. And also one surprising reaction was the one from at the Alberta premium, Jason Kenny said he endorses such a position. Maybe that means that Mr. Kenny may be looking at uh, some kind of uh, constitutional modification of his own. He would like to do for Alberta, I mean, for example, protecting natural resources from any uh, further taxes from Ottawa. That could be <laughs> within the realm of possibility. Yeah, that, so that, it uh, could. It could be endless for Mr. For Mr. Mm-hmm. Kenny. What,
0: what do you think, Susan? Uh, do we does this become an issue in the campaign whenever we get it?
6: I I I think that Justin Trudeau will be trying to do it the best he can for it not to become an issue. But I too, I I was really surprised by Jason Kenny's uh, remarks too, and I wondered what we're opening up. Some of us had a lot of fun covering the Constitution <laughs> back in the days, but I don't think this round would be as much fun. What do you think, John?
1: Uh, well, I think you know the the, prov- the proviso that uh, Dion made, and I think that uh, Trudeau has made is that the linguistic uh, rights of the minority have to be protected in Quebec and so therefore any concrete measures by Kenny or others to make English the, the preferred language in their province or the only language the official language uh, would still have to protect minority language rights so maybe there is no concrete implication maybe it's just symbolic and maybe it just is a non-issue.
0: All right um, thank you all for your time tonight good to talk to you all again and we'll be in touch take care. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching. See you next time.